Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Let's just begin to bless the name of the Lord and thank Him and just glorify His name. Let's just get excited. Let's rejoice in the room tonight. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice because God is good and His mercy is endure forever. I hope you can all hear me, please. I hope you can all hear me at every point, at any point. You can as well interrupt me to be, you know, to communicate whether you can hear me or not, because it'd be good that everybody can hear me very clearly. So let's just rejoice in the room. Let's, let's show some excitement because our God is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. He is good and his mercies endure forever. We're breathing, we're living, we're thriving today because of his mercy, because of his grace. Can we just show some excitement and rejoice in this atmosphere of faith? Glory to God forever. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. God is good. Glory to God. If, you, <laughs> if you're in a place you can show some excitement, please go ahead and do it. Do not be apologetic about it. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Show some excitement. Swirl around, run, jump. Whatever you need to do, scream. Hallelujah. Because God is deserving of all our worship, all our praise, all our adoration, all our excitement, everything that we could possibly offer as a sacrifice of praise. He's deserving of it. He is deserving of it. Let's show him some appreciation. Let's show him some love. Let's ex express our love unto him tonight. Father, we give you praise. Father, we give you praise. You are good. You are good and there's no one else like you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to my family. Great is your faithfulness to the body of Christ. Great is your faithfulness to Nigeria. Great is your faithfulness to every single person under the sound of my voice. Great has been your faithfulness. Father, we are grateful. Father, we are grateful. We are so grateful for the benevolence of your nature. You're so benevolent. You're so generous. You're so kind. You're so merciful. Bible says you're plenteous in mercy. You're plenteous in mercy. You have never repented from doing good. Every time the Lord repented, it was from doing evil. That's because your predominant disposition is doing good. You are so good. You are so kind. You are so loving. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, as we get into your word today, we ask that everyone is blessed, that if I have strengthened and encouraged by the power of your spoken word, and through the ministry of your spirit, we ask that everyone here under the sound of my voice will not leave here without a proceeding word from the throne of grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for answer prayers. For in Jesus' precious name, we are prayed. Can we rejoice some more? Let's rejoice some more. Hallelujah. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. It's such a privilege and an honor to bring you God's word again tonight. Um, the truth is, I've just been teaching as I'm led. That's the truth. All right. This is not an attempt to, you know, just continue to teach. To teach. It's an attempt to do the will of God. It's an attempt to um, consecrate my heart and communicate what the Lord is asking me to communicate to His people in the most excellent way. All right. And that's why, you know, we've been on this particular series, and I've been taking the, I've, I've taken the first couple of series or the first couple of installments. And this is the third installment, and I believe that the Lord has a specific word for every single person under the sound of my voice tonight. You can exclude yourself by not paying attention. You can exclude yourself by not having an expectation. But God has a specific word for you, no matter who you are, no matter where you're listening from. God has your name on a word. God has your name on a word. So please pay attention. I want you to catch it, lambano it, write it down, confess it, and you will have exactly what you say. Amen and amen. Today we're going to just be, you know, continuing in our examination and contemplation on the person of Abraham, because Abraham is a syllabus. Abraham is an institution. Abraham is a curriculum. All right, you cannot be a person of faith without encountering Abraham extensively in your journey of faith. On Sunday, PBP did a very elaborate exposition to us. All right, about the person of Abraham, how Abraham exalted his normal daily life. To a doctrinal standard to such a degree that thousands of years later we are picking up the story of his life and we are making it doctrine it's literally become a dogma 
It has become something we live by just because he lived in such an alignment with the plan and purposes of God for his life. All things that were written four times. Romans chapter 15 from verse 3 and 4 were written for our learning so that we through the comfort of scripture can have hope. Hope there is a strategy, strategy for how to conduct yourself in any given situation you find yourself that may be in alignment with whatever context you have read in scripture. So everything you found, find in scripture is foretelling, is saying something about what you might encounter in the future. All right. So everything you find in scripture is a prophetic book. All right. It's a prophetic um it's a prophetic, um, what do I, how do I call it now? It's, it's some sort of a prophetic tale of how your life might just be. And you have models, frameworks, all right, context that you can pick from and begin to apply it in your own reality. And Abraham is such a curriculum. Abraham is such a standard that we can look upon and receive insight, receive life, receive understanding, and receive direct instructions for faith and direct instructions for living. All right, Isaiah chapter 51, Bible says, hearken unto me, you that follow after righteousness. All right, it says, look unto me, you that seek after God. It says, look unto your father, Abraham. It says, look unto the rock from where you were hewn, and unto the pit of the hole from where you were dug. Look unto your father, Abraham. It says, unto Sarah that bear you. It says, for I called him alone, and I blessed him. And it says, I increased him. And we've been examining, you know, what it means for us to look unto Abraham, our father you know, in the last two weeks, and it's been really, really, really profound. Today, I'll just like us to take on, you know, a, a, a journey, all right? I'll be sharing some thoughts. I've, I've, I've not titled these teachings deliberately because it's a string. I don't want you to see it as, you know, separate teachings as of, you know, different installments in that sense. I, I would encourage you to listen to the first one, the second one, almost as though it's just one teaching, just, just one teaching that is all streaming into different dimensions. All right, sorry about that. Okay, so it's important that we pay attention. All right, it, it's, it's one teaching, looking unto our father, Abraham. So what we find in Abraham is so powerful. What we find in Abraham is so instructive. What we find in Abraham is so profound that if we can pay attention to Abraham, our lives can literally take the shape of Abraham. Our lives can take the shape of this patriarch. Because he's not just a person who existed some thousands of years ago. He's the pioneer of faith. He's the father of faith. He's the principle of faith. He's a patriarch of faith. He's a prototype of faith. He's a pattern of faith. He's someone we can model our faith life after. And we won't be wrong. We won't be wrong. We won't be wrong. He's the father of faith. He's the father of faith. So the Bible says confidently, look unto your father Abraham. He could have mentioned any other name. He could have mentioned any other person. He could have mentioned any other character and scripture, but he says, Abraham stands out. Look unto him. Everything he does, you can pattern your life after it. You can look unto him in every sense of the word. Look unto your father, Abraham. He says, I called him alone. He says, I blessed him. And he says, I increased him. And w w what is Abraham known for? He is known to pioneer the faithness. And it's important that we juxtapose the dimensions of Abraham that we see in the Old Testament with the realities of faith that we see explained in the epistles by the apostles Paul, Peter, and Co. So it's important that we juxtapose and see, okay, what we see in the back end of Genesis, is it aligning with the front end of the epistles? Are we seeing a parallel? Are we seeing some sort of similarity? Because it's amazing that, you know, the dimensions we see in Paul are perhaps even more exciting because you see um, the epistles doesn't really capture the, the fallouts. It doesn't capture the errors. It doesn't capture the sleeping with Hagar. It doesn't capture some of those interesting elements that we see in the back end, but it also shows you the way God sees things, the way God sees things really. You see, God has a way of optimizing your life that even though you have mistakes in your actual dealings, God has a way of just spotlighting those areas where you made him proud and he's just going to push that to the world. And he has a way of doing that. And that's just the faculty of mercy in God. And so you see in, in the Hebrews and Romans, everything is about how amazing this Abraham did this walk of faith. But when you read it in Genesis, when you read the, the upsy-turvy curves and all the things, the detours, the meanders, and all the things that Abraham had to go through to arrive at that place of consolidation and that place of establishment in faith, that place of persuasion, what Paul does wrote in one chapter in chapter four we see a lot of chapters building up momentum onto that phrase and being fully persuaded 
you see that being fully persuaded took a, a couple of decades do you understand it's not just a, a moment it, it took some time it took some time it took some time so you need to understand that this faith thing is not something you can be in a hurry on you can't be in a hurry on the faith lane you are building a prototype you are building something that will last generations you've got to be very careful how you build all right you've got to be very careful how you build because God is using your life to tell a tale. He's using your life to tell scripture. He's using your life to doctrinally instruct people. He's going to use your life to as he wants, that he will use to instruct people in righteousness. And that's why you've got to be very careful. You can't be in a hurry on the faith lane. The faith lane is not a microwave. There is process on the faith lane. There is time on the faith lane. There is a lot of investment of process. All right, and perspectives and interpretations and light and growth and all these dimensions invested on the faith lane. And so what we find in Abraham is a man who believed God, a man who believed God. All right. And that's what we find also in Hebrews chapter 11, which is talks about the whole matter of faith. All right. He says Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, listen, without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. He says, he that comes to the Father must believe that God is, and that he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. And so if we must look unto Abraham, our father, and then we see the protocol of accessing this faith in Hebrews 11 verse 6, that means Abraham must have expressed this dimension of faith. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And by 6, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't even come before his presence without faith. He said it is impossible to please God. He says he that comes to the Father, he says that person must first believe that he is before he begins to believe that he's a rewarder. And that's the challenge with a lot of believers today is the fact that they have switched to the process. They've switched to the hierarchy. They've switched to the protocol. Now they want to believe that he's a rewarder before they believe that he is. And I think that is a very serious mismanagement of protocol. It's a very serious mismatch. It's a very serious aberration in ascending into his presence. He says the first thing that must happen is for you to first believe that he is. And that is a really powerful statement. There is a reason why he is perceived as a rewarder. There is a reason why he is perceived as a rewarder. The challenge is that a lot of people say that, you know what, you need to be a rewarder before you are. That is almost putting God in a dock of performance and saying you must perform before I know that you are. But you see, Abraham believed that he was. Ever before he performed anything, he said you are, you are. That means you have what is called pre-existential dominance. That means God has pre-existential dominance. He says the first thing you come to God with is a perception of his pre-existential dominance. That God is, God is the only one that defines himself by his pre-existential dominance. That means every other person defines themselves by what they do. They define themselves by where they come from. They define themselves by who they married, what their name is, what their culture is, what their profession is, what their educational standards and background is. But God is the only person that defines himself simply by the fact that he exists. That by the fact that he pre-exists, that he is. And he says it is on the basis of that. If there's anyone whose um, mic is uh, on, please kindly mute. Because it's causing a... Kindly mute, please. Um, can the admin help with that? Because you've got to be very sensitive to ensure that there are no distractions. Can we silence that person who is still speaking? Thank you. All right. He says he must come to the Father with that understanding that God is. And this is something we must have found in Abraham. For us to have Abraham as a prototype, a pioneer, a principal, all right, a patriarch of faith, there must be something he has exemplified at the highest level of doctrinal, all right, that we can now begin to model our lives after and say, you know what, there is something about this guy of faith. There is a parallel line that joins them. There is a parallel line that joins Abraham and faith. Because the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It says, he that comes to the Father first must believe that he is. 
And that's the thing. You see, acceptance before performance. Acceptance before performance. The challenge with a lot of atheists out there and a lot of other believers who really do not believe God is that they have subjected God first to performance. They say you must first be a rewarder before you are. You must be a rewarder before you are. You must do this before you, you exist. Before I can say you really exist, show me something. Show me a sign. Tell me something. Do something for me. Come on, platform. You are now a magician. You are now somebody that I can manipulate to serve my own needs. And God will never accept out of mercy. He will never respond to anyone who is putting him on some sort of a dock and asking him to prove himself. He will never respond to you because he's bigger than your justifications of his existence. He does not need to prove anything to you to exist. He does not need to be real to you for him to be real to reality. Do, do you understand? He is the pre-existential dominant factor of life. And if he needs to prove it to you, you are not deserving of his attention. If he needs to prove his existence to you, there is no point having that conversation with you. There are times he has told people to taste and see. There are times he has said, you know what, I'm going to be merciful upon you and then show you the truth. But it will not be because those people are demanding it out of pride and a sense of self-importance. There are some people that come to the presence of God out of pride and self-importance. They say you exist. So if you really exist, do this, let me see. As though God is now within that context where you are now in panel of judges. He now has to come and perform to you so that you can get a verification or some sort, some sort of notoriety, some sort of validation of his existence. Now that I have performed with you or for you, can you now believe and certify me as existent? Can you now tell the world that I am now existing? No, God forbid. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, let God be true. It says the unbelief of some people cannot annul the faith of God. It says, let God be true and let every man lie. That means the capacity of God to be true in your life is something you have got to let. You've got to let God be true. And one of the things you need to believe first is that God is. Is that God is because what does it mean for you to say that God is? You need to understand what it means for Abraham to leave his father's house, to leave his kindred, to leave his country, and to go to a land that God we have never seen in his naked eyes will show him. That's what you now need to begin to uh, explore. What does it mean for you to believe that God is? <laughs> How do you be? Because to, to reward means. To justify a promise by performance. That's a reward. You justify that promise by performance. Now you have rewarded someone who believes. But that reward is visible. That reward is something I can taste, smell, feel, and handle. That reward is visible. How do I come from a place of invisible to the place of visible? How do I believe that you really are? How did Abraham leave the comfort of what he had known all his life? what he had experienced, what he has come to accept as reality, the things he knew, the things he had come to rely on, his network, his family, his members, his network, his, his every single dimension of his life. He left it all to follow a voice he was not even sure of. He left everything for a sound, for a voice that he had never met in his life. It's like I come to you and I say, forget all your assets. Give me the money. And then you give me the money. You don't know what I'm going to use the money for. I just say, liquidate your assets. Give me the money. I'm just meeting you for the first time today. I say, give me the money. And you ask me, what do I need the money for? You say, I tell you, you know what, don't worry. I will show you the product that I will invest it in. I will show you the portfolio that it must get into. But right now, you must liquidate your assets. Right now, you must sell your cars. Right now, you must sell your houses. Right now, you must leave where you are. You must carry your family and begin to journey towards the north. I will tell you what you will do. It is impossible for anyone to agree to that, except, except you have exalted the reality of the same realm, far bigger than the reality of the same realm. Except you have exalted the place of the spiritual, far higher than the natural. Except you have said, you know what God is beyond everything else that is. God is the pre-existential dominant factor in life. That is even realer than the shirt on my back, realer than the TV in front of me, realer than every single dimension of life and creation. God is realer. He says, 
I am. He's the only one that defines himself by such language. He says, I am, I said you. He told, he, he told Moses. He says, well, you know, Moses said, when I go to Pharaoh, the most dangerous man upon the face of the earth, what do I tell him? Who do I tell him I said you? He says, tell him, I am, I said you. I am. I am. Do you know what that means? He means he's the one that pre-existed existence. He is the one that has the capacity and the audacity to define himself by his pre-existential status. That he is. Before anything else, he is. And the Lord told me to tell you tonight that if you're sick in this place, God is about to introduce himself to your sickness. He's about to introduce himself as the one who is. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is. Even before you do something words, he is. He is before your child. He is before your storm. He is before all those challenges you're going through. He, he, he is before any of those natural challenges you're going through. He is. It does not matter what you're going through. God is about to introduce himself into your reality. And the first thing he says is, I am. I am that that I am. I am the only one that has the capacity to introduce myself in such a way. I am. He says, this is the first thing that Abraham got right. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to the path that the first thing the person must believe is that God is. And this is the challenge with some faith folks. Because they use the faith of man to negate the sovereignty of God. And that's the challenge. Faith is not an active He's not, he's not actively against the doctrine of sovereignty. As a matter of fact, he's well interwoven. You don't come with the idea of God is a rewarder. And that's the challenge when you begin to use your faith as a one. And you say, all I need to do is confess in my heart and all those things and everything, and everything will happen. You are beginning to use God as some sort of a puppet, as some sort of an ATM machine. I see the first thing to do is to believe that he's a rewarder. That's not the first thing to believe. It's to believe that he is. And if you believe that he is, you must believe that he's sovereign. He's self-existing. He's self-perpetuating. He's the one that can by himself decide to do whatever he chooses to do. And faith begins with that understanding that God is. Not that he's a rewarder. It begins with that he is. Because if he is, then he can call those things that be not as though they were. Oh, that is what Abraham believed. That is what Abraham Abraham accepted before subjecting God to performance. The challenge is that a lot of people are subjecting God to performance so that he can prove that he is. No, no, no. You've got to believe that first is. Then when you believe that he is, you know what he then does? He then credits your account with what is called righteousness. Mm. He credits your account with what is called righteousness. You see, there is a difference between the law and the face, all right, the, the, there's the law, there's the dispensation of the law, there's the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of the law was such that, you see, God was performance driven. People did not even know God existed until he performed. You couldn't relate with God until you could bring him down to your canal, canal senses, all right? So God could barely relate with these guys, except by manifestations that triggered and stimulated their physical senses. All right, the five senses, where they could see, taste, smell. And all, that is why there was a lot of angelic manifestations in scripture, a lot of, you know, um, you know, epiphany. You know, God just appearing out of the blues and stimulating people's minds, stimulating their senses, stimulating their vocal cords, stimulating their sights, you know, just stimulating everything you can touch around them physically, just to prove that he is. So he, it was a performance-driven dispensation. And even their access to God was also performance-driven. So they needed to also perform enough to get to a standard called glory. But of course, that was not the dispensation that was earmarked for us to access God by faith. So Bible talks about how that the Lord was a schoolmaster that was supposed to just continue to engineer our growth as much as it could manage until the time where we could now receive Christ by faith. And so he says that, you know what? These guys have to just believe based on performance because they did not have the infrastructure that could believe by faith. They did not have that infrastructure that could believe by faith. And so what you see is that performance is now what drives acceptance. You have to see, you have to see, you have to hear before you can believe. 
And this is also why when they get into the faith, they also believe that they have to perform. They have to perform before God can accept that they are truly his son and truly his daughter. It's because of that work mindset, that legal mindset, that God must become visible for me to accept that he is. And when I get into him, I also must perform. I also must begin to follow some standards and attain unto a certain standard before God can accept that I'm his son. It was a protocol of performance before acceptance. Glory to God, but that's what faith has come to negate. What faith has come to negate is that, and that he says you have to accept first that he is, and then he will begin to perform. And once you get into faith, also you accept that you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus before you begin to perform. You cannot be performing without accepting. It does not work that way. The laws of faith negate the protocol of performance before acceptance. The laws of faith is acceptance first before performance. That's the challenge that a lot of people struggling with sin. You want to stop sinning before you believe you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What you need to do is to believe you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then you will stop sinning because performance only follows acceptance. You must believe that He is before He rewards. You must believe first that He is. Where do you get that belief from? Where do you get it from? Because you must believe first. What will. <laughs> What will make you do? Science and everybody else, common sense, they see is believing. So, how do I believe what I don't, I cannot see? <laughs> you see why this conversation is heavy? Because until you begin to prioritize the unseen realm, until you begin to move as someone seeing the invisible, until you begin to prioritize the word of God that says there will be rain, even when you have never seen rain in your life, over and above the watch of all of CNN and all of the United States and all of the global population, saying it's a lie, you're just a fool. What are you doing hitting a nail for the last 120? What is wrong with you? What are you doing? There's never been rain. The rain will never happen. Let's eat, let's party, let's dream. And you move as someone seeing the invisible and you condemn the world until you begin to get to a point where you are literally prioritizing spiritual things over and above physical and carnal things. You are not ready to believe that. If you think that all that exists is what you can see, taste, smell, and feel, you are dead, actually. I'm going to show you in scripture how you are dead. All right, because when you think of carnality, you only think of, oh, you have said to somebody, I know your wife. Oh, you lie, you stole, you backbite. Uh, that is not carnality. Carnality is limiting the possibilities of reality within the framework of the carnal senses. That's carnality. You hear what I just said? Limiting the possibilities of reality to the framework of what you can see, taste, smell, and feel. That is carnality. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 that to be carnally minded, it didn't say to be unborn again, it doesn't say to, to, be, to be unsaved, it says to be carnally minded. Remember on Sunday, you can be saved and still be blind. You can be saved and still be blind, so you can be carnally minded. Even though your spirit is regenerated and recreated, you can be carnally minded. It says to be carnally minded is what is death. It says but to be spiritually minded is life and it is peace. It is for a carnal mind is enmity that it is contrary indicating to the spirit of God. A carnal mind is enmity to the law of God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. A carnal mind cannot begin to believe God. It can't. You, there is nothing you have to bypass it. A carnal mind cannot begin to believe God. It says, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh, listen to this, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot be in faith. That's the meaning. They that are in the flesh cannot be in faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you are in the flesh, you are impossible to please God. You cannot please God. It is impossible to please God in the flesh. So therefore, those that are not in the flesh are in faith. Those that are not in the flesh are in the faith. And it says, if we live in the spirit, which is a conditional statement. It says, if we live in the spirit, it says, let us walk in the spirit. That means you can live in the spirit. Of course, 
you are in the spirit when you are born again, and you live in the spirit when you are born again. But it says, if we live in the spirit, that means there is a possibility of living in the spirit and not walking in the spirit, which is what we talked about on Sunday. You can be living in the spirit and you see your inside light, but your eyes are blind and you are not walking in the spirit. He says, a man of the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. That means there are dimensions of these things that Abraham must have manifested. How and why would you leave everything you know, everything education has taught you, everything your understanding, common sense, research, Googling, all of that has taught you? How and why would you leave all of that and say you are following a voice you cannot see, you cannot taste, you can't smell, you can't handle, to go to a place you have never heard, to a place that he has not told you? What are you banking on? Listen, Abraham must have believed that God was realer than his bank account. Abraham must have believed that God was realer than his son. Abraham must have believed that God was realer than everything else he could see. He exalted the capacity and the potential of the spirit realm far higher than the capacity, capacity and the potential of the physical realm that he could see and experience with his natural body. He must have believed that God is. He couldn't see him, but he believed that he was the author of everything he could see. He must have believed that God is. You see, because God is more real than infrastructure. God is more real than steam. He's more real than salt. He's more real than everything and anything you could possibly imagine or con conjure up with your mind. God is not some, some... God is not some... Uh... What do you call that stuff? Conspiracy theory that somebody conjured up in order to just bamboozle the whole world and get everybody to start following some God in a hoodie. No, God is real. You don't need to have it perform. Just believe first. That's the only way you could ever perform. And if you believe because you wanted to perform, you still are believing it for performance. So really, that is still not faith. You've got to really believe that he is. That's the premise. He, he really is. He really than everything you could possibly think about. Because Abraham risked everything. And, and when we look at why he risked everything, we realize that it is not a risk after all. Because if you, oh dear God, if, if you have exalted the reality of God over and above the substance you could see, taste, smell, and feel, that means when God, who is higher than those things, tells you to leave those things, it's no longer a risk. You can see the bigger value. You can see the bigger picture. So if I say leave, leave where you are right now. I have a house in Banana Island. I've shown you pictures. It's no longer a risk to leave where you are because you have exalted the value of what you can see in another dispensation. A higher and bigger and better than whatever it is you may be holding on to. This is what makes people live by faith. Faith is not a risk. You have seen the invisible. You have exalted the power of the invisible, and you have jettisoned and condemned the world. You are saying that everything you can see, this man and feel, as long as you stay in that kind of context, you are dead. At least God cannot interrupt himself and introduce his thoughts into your realities because you are trapped in the canal space. You are trapped in the canal dispensation. He says, listen, as long as you are carnally minded, you are dead. You are impossible to penetrate by God. Impossible. Because it is enmity against God, but it is not subject to the law of God. It does not open itself up to the dimension that God speaks from. It is dead. But to the spiritually minded, it is like a gift. So Abraham must have exalted the power of God's existence. Abraham must have said, you know what God is? He is more real. There's another person who's who's uh, God. Can we can we pay attention to that? Oh, God is. God is. God says to tell you that he's introducing himself to you in a new way today. I am. <laughs> I love that. He said, I am. I am that I am. You see, before I reward, before I perform, I am. You see, if you can just allow the reality of God's existence and the reality, the fact that he's so real, Bible says he is before all things, and by him all things consist. If you can just believe that he is, there's so much that can happen in your life. Can you just believe that you, before your career was, he is. 
before you had a child, he is. Before anything you thought could not be changed, he is. Before that failure, he is. Nothing can scare a man who believes that God is. God is the pre-existential dominant factor. He pre-existed everything that exists today. And is the factor that channels the cause of reality. He is. And Bible says he is a rewarder. That means he likes to justify what is invisible with the visible. That is what it means that he's a rewarder. That everything, you see, if you meet me in the unseen, I will show up in the seen. <laughs> if you are caught into the unseen and believe that I am, before I perform, I will step out with you into the same realm. I will not allow you to walk into the same realm alone. I will get into the same realm with you. It's almost as though God is bound by his own word and his own oath. That if anybody will believe me without saying it, I will ensure they will never stop seeing me in their life. I will continue to perform until they are tired of seeing that performance and until they get to the whole world telling everybody about the power of his glory and his might. That you don't need to put me under pressure. I am more interested in performing than you are willing to receive. But you need to first come inside of my own realm and believe that I am. Then you would unlock all my possibilities and it will follow you into the realm. You must believe that I am. How do you believe that I am? This is where, this is where the magic will happen. All right? How do you believe that God is? He gives you a word. <laughs> he gives you a word. And that word is, oh boy, it's a completed dimension. Because in the sin realm, there are no processes. Or rather, in the unseen realm, there are no processes. There is no um, let's wait and see. Everything in your serum is finished forever. Oh God, your word is past tense. Let's put it that way. All right, forever. Oh God, your word is past tense in heaven. It's past tense. That is what he's saying there. Forever, oh God, your word is settled in heaven. It is settled. So, how does he believe that you believe that he is? Huh? He will give you a word. That word is not going to look like anything you have seen on the sin realm. You will eat not it will contradict everything. Because that's the only way it will, it will show and it will get you to understand what it means for you to exist. <laughs> it will tell you that you know what? You are a 75-year-old barren man. You have never given birth to a child in your life. Your wife is 10 years younger than you. She has passed menopause. I want to begin my work with you right now. And I will not use the I promise you at that age. I will bring you into 99, and then you will begin to have your child. What? The only person that can believe that is someone who believes that he is. You, you have to enter to the unseen realm, receive that word, get back into the sin realm, and begin to backwardly integrate everything in your life to align with that word. You see, because this is the difference. Listen to what I'm about to say. The believer gets into the unseen realm, receives the word from the unseen realm, gets into the sin realm, believes that that word in your sin realm is bigger, better, more powerful, more compelling than everything in the sin realm. He does not doubt what he has believed because he believes that he is, that God is existentially dominant. He is not waiting on performance for B. He is. So when he gives you a word from that unseen realm and you bring it into the sin realm, what you are doing is that you are not superimposing the reality of that unseen realm, that word, upon the reality of the sin realm. Because you are not doubting the unseen realm, but you are conforming the sin realm to conform and align with that unseen realm. The unbeliever, otherwise, what does he do? He looks at the sin realm and he begins to question the unseen realm. He says, but you told me that you said because it has not happened. So he believes that until it happens, it's still not real. That's the talent. It's the fact that we believe that the sin realm is bigger, better, more viable, and more to be trusted than the unseen realm. The moment you begin to exalt your gift to that which is unseen, Ah, God, it will look like you just let loose. You, God will just let loose on you. And every dimension you could even much more. You see what he said in the Ephesians 3? Much more than you could ask or even think 
He will not begin to do. Much more. Because you have released the power of the Godhead into that situation. Because you believe that news. Are we still together or I've lost you? Please, I, I want to be sure we are still together. Uh, he is. He is. He is. He is. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 from verse 16. Bible says, therefore it is a faith that it may be by grace. To the end that the promise may be made sure to all the seed. Not only to them who are of the Lord, but also to them who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made thee a father. Listen to the context of the unseen He says, forever, oh God, your word is past tense. He says, listen, forever, your word is past tense. So he says, it is written, I have made thee. You are still a 75-year-old man who has never had a child of your life. And you're not going to have that child for the next 25 years. But I already, in your sin realm, I have already made you a father of many nations. Bible says, before we believe, even God that quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were, listen to that. How God quickens the dead, remember to the carnally man is dead, after the spiritually man is life and peace. For a carnal man is anything against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh, Cannot please God because they are not in faith. So he says, How he quickens the dead is by introducing the dimension of faith. He says, He will cause something that be not as though they were and see your reaction. That is how he quickens the dead. That is when you are trapped within the lens and the infrastructure of the carnal mind, you cannot really please God. So how he quickens you and brings you alive, even though you are born again but you are still dead, he says, Awake, you that sleep. Ephesians 5 14, Awake unto life, and God will shine his light on you. Because you can be in Christ and you are sleeping. You are not different from all that is dead. It just wasn't that Because you are asleep. Your light is still off. Your eyes are still closed. You are not seeing the light of the glory of God. So he says, listen, you have to arise. And he says, Christ will shine his light on you. So he says, how? He quickens the dead. Because I've never seen this link before. I've never seen it until tonight. When the Lord was showing me, he says, this is how he quickens the dead. Ah, this is how he quickens the dead. He begins to introduce things that be not, as though they were. He begins to call them forth in your heart. That this thing that you cannot see in your reality, do you know it exists in your world? And he begins to call it forth as though they were. He begins to say, you are the father of many nations. And he says, before whom he believed, even God, he believed God in the unseen world, that he is, that he is. That he is a reality higher than existence. He is. And if he says this thing, that thing also is. Because that word is just equivalent to him. He has exalted the word above all his name. So that word which is said in that unseen realm, even though my reality has not aligned, that word is. So when you believe that that word is in that realm, he says you are quickened. Because that is how he quickens the dead. That is how he gets people to live on the faith thing. How does he quicken the dead? By making them live by faith. That's how he quickens the dead. UK, and I could use the name Galatians 3 11, Hebrews uh, 10 38, all right, Romans 1 17, Ephesians 2 4. The just shall live by faith, the just shall sleep by carnal mind. They sleep, they die in their carnal mind, they are freedom back to life. And how God places them on the faith lane is by introducing to them that which cannot be seen, and He says it is. This thing that you have not seen with your naked eyes, it exists. If you will believe me, he says, the moment you say yes to what I said is, even when you cannot see it, it is right when you turn them to your account. You believe God, you have not seen the evidence of what you are believing God for. He says, your righteousness has been credited. And righteousness is a positional concept. That means you are in the same space with God. Everywhere God is, you are there. Everywhere you are, God is there. You are never in the wrong side of right. Don't you understand? You are always right. You are in the right side of God. Because God is the only right person in his life. If you are not with him, you are wrong. So righteousness is being in the same position with God. So he says, he quickens the dead. How he does that is by calling those things that be not as though they were. Wow. He says, and Abraham believed that, right? And then who against hope? Believe in hope. Listen to this. He believed in hope so that he can become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. 
That means the written word has to translate from just being written to being spoken. He says, even he says, we have in the same spirit of faith. Wherefore it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, we therefore speak. Remember, 116 or 416 is according to that which was written. I have made thee a father of many nations. In verse 17, he says, according to that which was spoken. That means faith transits from John reading the text of scripture, which is written, to speaking the word of God. Remember, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. If they do not speak according to the law and the testimony, is it because there's no light in them? So he says, listen, it is according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. He believed at that level of the answer. Okay. He now says, how did he now translate this to the same realm? Because we have authority on the earth. God, God is true forever in heaven. But it may not be true over your life forever. It may never be true over your life. That's the truth. All right? He is true forever and ever. And his true forever and ever has potential to be true on earth as well. However, only Abraham's can trap the possibilities of the heavenly reality and bring them into manifestation on the earth. And how that process begins is for him to speak at the heavenly realm and you say, you know what, you are. And everything you say also exists. And I, even though you are calling the things that be not on earth, as though they were in heaven. So the creation of everything in the world starts with an heavenly statement. That is how we create everything and anything by speaking. It doesn't do anything than just speak. So when he speaks it, he has created it. When he says it, it exists. The moment he says it, it already exists. There's another interference. It already exists. So the moment you just capture that existential word at the level of the heavens, he says, then bring it down to the earth. He says, it is the work of faith that will bring it into materialization of faith. So he says, you call those things that be not as though they were. I'm not a father of many nations in reality, but you said I'm a father of many nations. So it be, all right, pardon my English. It exists already in the realm of the spirit. So I have to believe it about realm. When I believe it, what do I then do? Of course, it is written first, that which was spoken of you. And then you have to now begin to speak according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. He now begins to say, Who against all believe in work so that it can become part of many nations according to that which was spoken? And he now begins to say that he then was staggered not. He said, Not being weak in faith, he staggered not at the promise of the Lord's one belief. But it was what he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. To give glory to God means to focus on God. Simple. That's what it means to give glory to God. You are not looking at existential reality within your own domain, which is the sin realm. You are not looking at other things. They are, hey, this thing is not. <laughs> he says he was not weak in faith. He, was, he considered not the deadness of that's how he gave glory. This is how he gave glory. He considered not his own body now dead. When it was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She had passed menopause for over 30 years. He says he considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb. He says he was he staggered not at the point of God's belief. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He says he was fully persuaded. Ah, God had still not done anything. God had still not performed. God had still not rewarded. But the Bible says he was already fully persuaded that if God said it in the heavens, it will materialize on earth. And the Bible says, therefore, the moment God realized that this guy will not turn back from his faith, Performance entered. Performance kicked in. Performance happened. The challenge with a lot of people's faith is that they are waiting for performance to believe. You've got to believe before performance. You've got to accept that God is before he becomes a rewarder. He says, the moment Abraham believed that in spite of the impossibility in the natural realm, what God said is more real than the deadness of my body. What God said is more real than the deadness of my wife's womb. What God said is more real. He calls those things that be not. And the moment he calls them forth, they be. They just be. Because that is who God is. He creates by speaking. So the moment he says a thing to you, that thing exists. It is an infrastructure in the realm of the spirit. It's a real estate you need to grab. Stop waiting for it to perform before you believe that it is. Because if you wait for it to perform, you will never see what he has said that is. And then you continue to re-emphasize and confirm your bias that God does not exist because he didn't exist. And then that is how a cycle of unbelief continues. Because you are waiting for performance. And God is waiting for belief. He's waiting for faith. 
so that he can perform. And so he says, therefore, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. And once you have been accounted righteous, once you have been accounted righteous, there is no possibility that God has as a possibility, right? That cannot be materialized in your life. Because you can't be wrong as a righteous man. All right? You can't be wrong. You are, in, you are on the same side with God. That is why God threatened the man. Even though Abraham like he threatened, he said you will die this life. If you do not return this man's wife, he's a prophet. Let him pray for you. Do you understand that? Go and seek prayer and covering. Else you die, your children die, your every because you have touched the wrong man's wife. Abraham was accounted righteous. Even in spite of everything he did wrong, God saw him as a, he was only why? Because listen, he believed God when nobody could have. So everything you see in the life of Abraham was God literally performing everything he said he was going to do. Because Abraham believed God. He believed what he had never seen, tasted, smelled. There was nobody in his history that could show him the way of faith. He had no prototype, no antecedent, no precedent, nothing. He just believed that God is. That God is realer than his clothes, realer than his children, realer than the government. Realer than his financial finances, realer than anybody could see that God was real. That if God says, Leave your father's house, God is a better person to bank on than the economic metrics of my country. God is real. He says, We must believe that He is. We must believe that He is. I stopped there. You see, like I said, it's just it's a teaching that does not finish. And uh, I'll just stop here because. Time is up. But I, I really believe that the Lord has done something in our hearts tonight. Stop waiting for evidence. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the substance. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the substance. Stop waiting for evidence. Stop waiting for substance. Faith in itself is the evidence. It is the substance of things with faith. The evidence by itself is the evidence. You must believe that he is. He already is. Before he rewards, he already is before he performs, he already is before he does anything that he said he will do. If he said it, he has done it, he will make it good. He's just waiting for Abraham's who will align their thoughts, their actions, their words. All right, they will confirm the reality to what they already believe is the ultimate reality. They will not wait for God to conform to the reality of earth because the carnal mind is enmity. God will not subject himself. To the demands of a carnal mind because the carnal mind will still not believe even after god performs because he would always subject god to performance because originally and inherently he is trapped in the carnal faith he cannot believe anything spiritual you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him god bless your heart i pray that everyone here understand my voice is established in this truth and in all righteousness in jesus name amen thank you for having me thank you so much Nanto. God bless you. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.